0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Asa Merritt, who is a former international reporter for NPR, Vice Sports, The Guardian, and ESPN's 30 for 30 podcast. He currently has an Audible original uh, series titled Six Sermons, which is dedicated to the actor and musician Kaz Lisk, who died by suicide in Moscow in 2017. Welcome to the podcast, Ace America. Thanks,
1: Leo. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, I, I'm excited to hop into this. What is it about Kaz Lisk's suicide that uh, is compelling to you or has you dedicating the six-episode series that you've created to him?
1: Well, um, you know, when he died, uh, you know, as I think it's common for most folks who, who experienced the death of a loved one or a friend by suicide, it came, it came as, a, as a shock uh, and really kind of, um, you, you know, ripped me up. And, uh, you know, I remember listening to Julio speak about that linebacker who, who won the Heisman, who was kind of a, a role model or somewhat an aspiration and then when you learned that he died by suicide, that kind of like shook you up because he was somebody that there was a level of respect, a level of aspiration. Um, and that was certainly the case uh, for me with this friend, with Kaz. Uh, you know, he was someone that had enormous respect for and aspiration. And not only was it an intimate and close friendship, but he was somebody who who I looked up to in a big, big way. Um And um, someone whose brain I really looked up to, and and heart—he had a big heart and and large ideas. And so, you know, it just became more, um, you know, the the idea of suicide or or that act or that decision, depending on, you know, how you want to put it. I know all these words are have a lot of, um, you know, sort of facets to the diamonds of these words. Became much more uh, sort of both attractive and tenable in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, well this friend of mine who i had so much respect for did this it's like well okay uh you know it's it's on the table now uh in a way that it wasn't um you know i had had my own experiences uh around suicide ideation and had done some really reckless reckless behavior um when having those ideas but this changed things even more deeply um and so dedicated to him because i wrote it uh, to 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 take that feeling head on. I think more than anything else like that, there was a lot of course, right. There's the sorrow and the loss and the grief um, and the, and the why, why, why uh, you know, but I think above and beyond, I had to kind of like look myself in the eye, face that question, and then kind of try to put it on the page. So, you know, this, this project in a lot of ways was, was wrestling with that. And the journey of the protagonist in this, in this series, you know, you know, is a proxy for my own. You know, this, it shocks her. And, you know, the rough contours of the story is: there's this young pastor at a church, and the senior pastor takes his own life, uh, and she has to jump into that role. And so it's it's about you know grieving suicide. It's about your whole world being turned upside down. And 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 her character is very much a proxy for my own experience. I started writing it quickly after Kaz's death, and just kind of went there as far as I could. And that's how the show came to be.
0: Talk to me about this journey through sorrow, loss, and grief for you. And the, the reason why I want to dig a little deeper into that is so many people, when they think about ending their lives, they think that it'll alleviate the burden for other people. It'll alleviate the pain and suffering for others. Like other people will be better off. In some cases, they think that the other people will be happy. I've had guests who said, I thought my mom would be happy with me gone. Talk to us about the pain uh, and the grief that you experienced. What was that like for you physically, mentally? What were you, you, you pondering? Uh, please, you know, uh, be, be exhaustive in this, because I really want people to understand that um, it, it, does, it does cause pain and suffering.
1: Sure. Yeah. I I mean, I think for me, one of the most visceral embodied results was a real feeling of betrayal. Uh, You know, that, I think that is a big, a big word for me in, in reacting to his death. You know, there was just such um, I had always been so, so open and vulnerable with him about my deepest feelings and, uh, you know in retrospect, I was like, oh, that was kind of unilateral. Like you know, what was he holding on to? And, it, and it's just I had put myself, just kind of ripped all my dirty laundry like and put it right in front of him. And he was like, you know, such a wonderful friend and in any kind of situation was so supportive and, and positive. but uh, but then it was it was just kind of like, oh, like I wasn't that for you at all. Uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, that hurt a lot. I think that, that got under the skin.
0: Sounds like guilt a little bit on your part where you're like, oh, I, you were supportive and, and willing to hear all of my stuff. And I don't know if I was as supportive or, um, made it as known that I'd be willing to do the same. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, not quite, because I I feel like I carry myself in this world and as a friend who 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 listens and is present and perceives, uh, and obviously was an imperfect friend in some ways to him, but but uh, it, you know it was more like he, I think he there was like a whether whether it was manufactured or um, unconscious a, a wall. Uh, that, that he put up and, and maintained you know, very well, like tended, tended to those bricks. And if there was a crack, he like, you know, um, and I think that, you know, speaking with, you know, other friends and family of his after his death, you know, that, that kind of really emerged uh, as a narrative that, that, you know, he really successfully kept his inner life in a lot of ways uh, at bay which just is counterintuitive because he had such emotional, um, intelligence, but yeah, I I mean some guilt, but again, I was just pissed. I was like, I I can't believe you did that, uh, to to all of us, uh, you know, and I'm sure he had his, his reasons, but, um, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, I could put up a wall too, but I, but I don't, you know, so I, yeah. So that's, uh, the nature of of the, of the anger that was there for me.
0: Betrayal, pissed, where for you, do you typically feel those emotions, Asa?
1: Yeah, I I think it's like a real kind of, you know, what's coming to mind is, is kind of the same kind of uh, destructiveness that can, that can happen from, um, you know, rapid thinking or spiraling thoughts uh, in the way that that can really consume you and prevent you from, Um, you know, being part of the world, you can get trapped in your own head, you know, get really uh, just churning and churning and churning. And so that kind of, um, you know, really a form of of mania, uh, I think actually was something I could, you know, make a comparison to, from my experience of those feelings, it just kind of took over. And um, I think it's, you know, whenever you have a strong emotional reaction, it's just like, oh, what happened? to today I spent the entire day in my head like replaying the text messages of a fight I got into with my partner and I think I had some days like that early on where like when I finally came up for air I was like oh wow I just I just you know was on a hamster wheel all day
0: When, when you look back were there glimmers of where you were like oh was he reaching out then when he said that or when he did that
1: yeah you know i mean hindsight's always 2020 or like you know 2025 or whatever you know there's certain things uh yeah i mean you just look back at some of the things he said and he he wasn't uh uh like i didn't perceive any reach outs that i i missed but i did see things that should have been flags for the or the others in his life, you know, and that is where the guilt comes in. You know, it's like, hey, like you, you know, you try to stay informed about mental health. You care about the mental health of your friends, and here were some like signs that were loud and clear that uh, just kind of were either looked the other way or like, oh yeah, well that's just Kaz, da da da, da. And you know, I'd say for him, and and this is why I just think, uh, you know. The narratives around suicide, why I'm so grateful for shows like this one really, really need to expand, because in his case, you know, um, it was things like, so he lived in Russia, and he he was American, uh, but he had lived in Russia for many years, but he was building this career, his family was in Colorado, and he's like, you know what, okay, I think we're going to spend two weeks of the month in LA, uh, a week in Denver, and, and a week in Moscow. And he really legitimately thought that that was a sustainable, you know, path. you know, I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, we're going to go to the Bay every weekend, you know, I, I mean, you know, like the, you know, just, he was perma exhausted, you know, because he was performing all over Europe and, and just the fatigue, uh, you know, the cumulative burnout and, um. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, you don't think of somebody that when you say, oh, what are signs of someone who's who's at risk for suicide? The first thing you don't think of is he makes transatlantic flights all the time, you know? So it's like, that was, uh, I was like, okay, okay. You know, this is like, it's not going to look the same way for everybody. And like, when we talk about signs and things to look out for and flags, it's like, this this needs to be a big conversation because it's, a lot of different ways that people can manifest that they're in trouble
0: it's so true it's funny because when i was young i romanticized the whole you know i'm going from la to new york to paris to sydney you know that whole thing is so romanticized in movies and in tv of you know traveling around the world and i'm having breakfast in milan and then lunch in, you know, South Africa and, you know, just this whole jet setting kind of life and I have a house and blah, blah, blah. And in reality, the physical toll that it takes to get in and out of cabs, in and out of hotels, uh, the time zone changes, the sleep, the physical toll of, you know, being on a plane in a tight space and breathing that thin oxygen for for hours and then you now you have to take an upper to stay awake and a downer to go asleep and then something to kind of keep you leveled i don't know if that's part of his story if there were any you know weed caffeine i would imagine like in, in the in the world of you know acting and and um uh you know entertainment there's just so much of use of uh, exogenous. Uh, uh, stimulants or, you know, things to get your fix. I see you nodding your head.
1: For sure. I think, and I think like for, for people who, for people who achieve, for people who, uh, have, have had a certain level of drive or ambition, you know, like you can probably relate to this too. Uh, you know, you have a standard and you, there's a muscle memory there that like, well, this is what I do. You know, I can do this. I can work for a week on five hours of sleep. And if I have to, it'll be two weeks. Uh, You know, but he got married uh, you know, a few years before he died. He had a kid a few years before he died. And you know, those of course uh, are enormous uh, sort of additional uh, pressures and weights and balls in the air that you're juggling. And and he just sort of being the person he was had a standard. And of course you're just getting older. Right. So it's like 25 is not 35. Uh, and it's just, I think it's a common narrative for a lot of folks, like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe trending towards a lot of men that there's just this, there's just this, like uh, some kind of stand, like you just, are permanently committed to what you could do like a decade ago. And it's so ridiculous. Uh, and so, yeah, like, you know, I, I think he was like secretly smoking weed sometimes, like, you know, I think there were definitely things like that, uh, that, uh, again, like other, other, other signs, you know, I say secretly, cause like you don't smoke weed in Russia unless you're looking to get in trouble. Um, And, uh, you know, yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I mean, just, just being a foreigner, uh, a living, living in Russia, I I think that was like a, something that, you know, it just, everyone took for granted because he handled it so well, you know, he, he became fluent and I mean, he was performing in Russian, he was writing in Russian, you know, he, he was very, his partner, uh, was Russian, you know? Um, and, uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, you are without, your oldest friends, your family—you've—you've completely—you've completely left so much of the social and emotional infrastructure that we all kind of rely on. Um, all those roots, you know, just all the roots in the ground—like so many of them are on the other side of the world. And so, you know, I don't know particularly what it was that he was kind of like uh, using or abusing or leaning on to to sustain the rate that he had sustained. But what I do know is that he didn't think he needed to slow down, but there kept being more wind, you know, he's running into more and more wind and just like, he's like, I don't need to slow down. And then he just got knocked over, you know, and that was that. Um, and uh, again, like, I don't know, you, you, it's just like sort of workaholism, you know, there's just so many different ways that like, um, People get broken uh and and just he just seemed someone unbreakable
0: yeah there's a book unbroken and you know when you read books like that and we write there's so many books written about the people who who weren't broken and so you're like oh i'm on i can i'm unbreakable even in crossfit it's like you know to go unbroken in a workout and so we're, we're kind of like painting this narrative that it's possible to go through life unbroken and unstoppable, and I, I mean, sheesh! It's like we're we're trying to create uh you know, view ourselves as genetic superheroes or something like that. um And so I I completely get that idea of like living today's life compared to uh what I was able to do ten years ago. I was like I'm 47, and I went to go get a massage, and the masseuse was like, "What do you want?" And I was like, "I want you to to I want you to get me back to like." Be able to play tomorrow. Like I want to get back on the field. You know, she was like, "What?" And I was like, "No, seriously. Like, if you can, if you could get me back to, I feel like I could step back. I, you know, the football season around the corner. In my head, I'm still like 21. I should be able to do the same things. And if I'm not, it's because like I didn't eat right, or I need to supplement, or you know, maybe I'm not hydrated. It has nothing to do with my age. Clearly, uh, yeah. it's just it's delusional. It's like grandiosity and delusion and. I don't know, Uh, you know, but it's the things that you're fed with, especially when you're young of like, you know, you see it with people in the military, you know, it's, it's all mental. It's in your head and you can overcome and yada, yada, yada. And then it's like, no, it's in my knees. It's in my low back. And and, uh, it's in my shoulder, my right shoulder. The, uh, you know, you you talk so much about, uh, you know, he got married, he had a child and you know, was trying to balance. I think the other word that is not talked enough about is this word balance of, uh, you know, there's this expectation that we can have a work life balance. I, I can get 50% over here, 50% over there and everything will be balanced. And, um, and when I read bios, like I'm, I'm listening to Edison's, uh, Thomas time Edison's bio right now, none of these guys were balanced. Barack Obama did not have a balanced lifestyle. Like it was like 90% you know White House taking care of the world and 10% wife and kids. You know for like 10 years. Um and you know Thomas A Edison same thing was like I oh I'm married I forget. yeah I have a wife what you know Buffett like these guys are like 99% in on the work and you know if they have time, they'll show up for a birthday or something like that. This, this idea of a work life balance, I think is, is exhausting some people it's wearing them out, trying to keep everything on an even keel.
1: Yeah. I I mean, without a doubt, you know, I think, uh, I think so many people are afflicted with the inability, um, to, uh, to treat themselves right. You know, uh, or to take care of themselves, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's just so deep, you know, I, I mean, I'm, my politics are pretty progressive, you know, I think it really comes down to, to, to the way our, our economy uh, is structured and, and the way that the, the labor, uh, serves, you know, this economy that's very baked into our system, um, is both a, a, a sort of coerced, uh, overworking and uh, a culture of it that's that's actively encouraged you know I think there's like a real generational element you know the sort of rise of the meritocracy you know um, I think that's at work yeah I think I think there's there's um, all a million different things attributed uh, contributing that but I mean yeah what I mean like it's it's a central problem of our time just the articulation of it work-life balance you know Is 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 really intense uh, because it really suggests that those two things um, are incompatible, right? It's like we have our life. Just the notion that there's a significant forty to sixty hours a week of of our "quote unquote" life that we use a different word to describe. Sort of is just you know how you know just again the 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 words we use for that conversation demonstrate the scale of the problem i think
0: say more about that what do you mean
1: um yeah okay right so it's like i'm you know it's the new year and it's it's the new year's resolution i'm like all right this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna restructure some things and i'm gonna make some decisions about social media media usage or or like you know uh you know i am very uh guilty of just waking up and going on Slack or like sending an email or, or like waking up and, you know, before eating dinner and then going back to the laptop to try to do this some stuff. And, you know, we set out to rein in this behavior that we know is not good for us. Right. We've we've identified that these things contribute to negative things in our life they erode our relationships. You know, I got this kid, I got this three and a half year old and I'm, he's like coming up to me, like, you know, uh, asking, asking me to like repair this light bulb. And it's, and it's, it's magic. And I'm like, bared on my phone, like trying to like, you know, uh, bang out like a press release, you know, and, uh, it's not, uh, for lack of time. Right. It's like I very well could slot that press release to do later, but, um, The way the economy functions, the way the expectations are, and especially things around the media, you know, it's really, you have to, the fight against those tendencies is a really tough one, right? So I think that there's a lot of really structural structural things that um, inhibit our ability to have a healthy work-life balance, quote unquote you know, um, and, uh, yeah. And just, just lionizing work, uh, you know, like wake up and grind or like, you know, hustle the, all this, like, you know, that's fortunately has been, there's a lot of conversation around at this point, um, is so, uh, touted as a virtue and, uh, it's just really messed up. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just real easy to, If you have like an instinct for achievement or ambition, like it's really easy to fall prey to it, um, that instinct can really be fed.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's not slavery. If I get you to push yourself.
1: Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's this illusion of choice. It's like, hey, listen, nobody made you like nobody made you like write a press release with your kit, you know? And it's like, okay, well, I mean, right, like, you know, so,
0: yeah, yeah. It was implied. It, it's it's kind of like uh that that you know that look you get from your girl where you where she doesn't say the thing, but you know what the look means, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm I, I'll I'll go do the thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the the non the non uh, the nonverbals. You know, we we pick up on those very easily. for you at you know the the stage that you're in i mean to be a reporter for npr vice the the guardian like stories are 24 7 then like you're talk about being under pressure under the gun under like now 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 how are you how do you separate yourself or i don't even want to use the word separate how do you recharge your batteries so that you can get back into it? I know that you shared earlier about, you know, how Kaz is a person that you talked to and shared with. That was an outlet for you. How? Do, who's your outlet now? Where, where do you go to express yourself?
1: Yeah. The air um, out. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing I did, to find ways to air out was to stop doing journalism. I mean, that was a decision that was really very much, uh, a a product of that, of that phenomenon. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I went to journalism school. I was a journalist for five years, you know, the tribe, uh, which journalists comprise is one that I have so much respect for in the craft. Um, but I think the way media, and content is produced today uh really you're competing um you're you know a a news story is competing for um someone really charming you know uh riffing you know on 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 tiktok like the sea shanties or whatever you know what i mean like there's so much stuff out there that's delightful and, and fun and 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 just Uh, rich and of the moment and passing and it's like we're all consuming it on our phones and so you know the that's what a news story is competing against right so there's this like a real pressure on the news story to 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 have like kind of like entertainment elements and and it forces something to really have these narrative elements, right? Like a a beginning, middle and end. And, and, and like, you know, you're constructing drama and and so on. I mean, and this is, you know, it's always been like that, you know, you're just telling a story. Um, But I got kind of cynical about it. And I was like, this is, this is too much. So, I mean, the, the, to get to the beginning of that question is I left journalism, you know, that like first positioned me to start coming back to a place where there wasn't that like zip and zap and zoom of, 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 trying to like do something meaningful in a, in a, in a, in a media landscape where, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do, I think, cause there's so much. And, um, so anyway, I mean, I think, I think, I think today, I just, I think having a, having a family and a child has, um, really engendered, a, a, like, you know, the demand, I, you know, I think that's a place where Kaz and I like went down the different roads, you know, I mean, I really did realize I was like, okay, like you're going to do less, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you're not going to be able to to write as much, or if you are, it's going to have to be early in the morning before anybody wakes up. And it's like, um, you know, a challenge for me has been to, to preserve the integrity and strength. Of, you know, some of my most important relationships, you know, work stresses has, uh, has been corrosive sometimes to, to my marriage and, and a lot of relationships. And I think like what I'm proud of is um, taking action, you know, and, and it just, you know, uh, like the work stress on this project, I, you know, I, it, like it just things with my partner got real bad. And I was like, oh, like, this is, this is how divorce happens you know like this is how it happens like you know you, you you stick to these standards and you're you're prioritizing work and you think you can do it all uh you think you can fly to three countries and like every month and it's like oh you can't and like I think what I I still have a long way of go to like find the air that you're describing but what I do take pride in is I feel like I'm becoming better at recognizing dysfunction and just being like okay like you know there is an a to b here i can see what's causing this you know
0: i like that idea of recognizing dysfunction because uh, oftentimes what is functional can become dysfunctional if we uh overuse it misuse it abuse it think that oh okay this worked yesterday so i can do it it's almost like Oh I had a great workout yesterday. I did 50 push-ups yesterday, so I can do 50 push-ups today. And it's like, no, your body needs probably a few more days to recover from the 50 push-ups. But we don't think about our work being like that. We go, well, I, I you know I wrote, you know, 20 uh, stories yesterday. I could write 20 stories every day then. You know, it's that kind of uh I, I forget what they it's like the opposite of catastrophizing where like you're you're where you multiply how good things can be on a certain level or you think you can scale yourself and your energy and our energy doesn't work like a, a business but even businesses can't scale even starbucks is shutting down stores now because they scale too quickly but uh but oh. we've been so that we can just keep going
1: yeah totally i mean you have some kind of streak right where it's like I mean, you know, you, you take. Uh, yeah. And then there's just so many titans out there again to like, you know, you take someone like Stephen King who's in his 80s and like still pumps out a novel a year. It's like, all right, listen, if Steve can do a novel a year, like I can do one every three. Right. Uh, and you're like, maybe, you know, like you know, maybe. Uh, or, you know, if you do knock out one in a year, like, okay, look at that. Look at that. I wrote a novel in a year. Okay. All right. Let's obviously I've got five more novels in the next five years, you know? Um, yeah. I think, I think we're really good at uh, using the past as a, uh, oh yeah, well I did that. I'm going to do it again. I think, I think, I think you're totally right.
0: Yeah. Our math is so off. Like <laughs> does it doesn't like, like paper math, two plus two math does not equate to human math in terms of like what we're able to multiply and, and add to our workload, et cetera, et cetera. The, uh, you, you talked about, you know, quitting journalism, that word quit is such a, a loaded word. And, and, uh, and it, cause you also talked about how the, you know, the, the, the tribalism of, uh, journalism. And so you're not just quitting journalism, but you're also, it sounds like, um, kind of losing your connection with the tribe of other journalists that you've had the the lingo, the language, the, the, uh, the adrenaline rush, the there's a routine of journalism and a camaraderie. I'm sure that was there. How did you navigate that? Was it, did you just wake up and be like, I quit journalism and I'm done. Or was it, was there a process and a planning that went into it?
1: Um, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, I mean, luck, I guess, like, uh, there was there was one thing that happened that really changed the direction for me. um, And that was, so, you know, the kind of, uh, a lot of the journalism I was doing was an audio, you know. Um, And so this, this project Six Sermons that I just finished is an audio project. And so I was able to jump to that because I had was making inroads in the, in the nonfiction journalism space, you know, that kind of opened some of the doors. Um, And, you know, so it was really, you know, I, my aspirations professionally had always been in dramatic writing. I lived in New York City for a long time. I was writing plays and, and you know, eventually came to journalism. It's like, OK, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not getting the breaks here. You know, I didn't get into grad school journalism. This is an opportunity to tell stories. You know, justice is something I care about. This is a way I can, like, exercise my um, abilities as a creator and a writer uh, for something good. I'm going to give this a go. And it was great but it never was, uh, you know, it wasn't, it's something, not something I set out for. And then, and then I, I kind of, kind of saw, saw the wave of audio fiction coming, you know, I was kind of positioned in a, in a, in the right little spot for that. Like having come from theater and in this nonfiction audio space. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get ready for this wave. And, um, you know, uh, Audio fiction is is 100 years old or more. I don't even know. And there's obviously been a ton of amazing independent audio fiction that's been made. Um, but the the sort of commercial funding of audio fiction projects is relatively new. And so I was able to make that pivot by like kind of coming in at the beginning.
0: Mm. Yeah, you, you know, and what I love that you shared is how you kind of broke down what got you into journalism, it sounds like from you wanted to tell stories one, and two, you had this innate sense of justice. And it sounds like storytelling was a way of you kind of bringing justice to, uh, topics or situations, uh, um, that, that you felt like needed to be highlighted. And I, and I, and I'm bringing it up because I think that for anybody who's listening, who wants to quit their job or wants to transition into something else, but feels over-identified with it is to break it down into its qualities. Like remind yourself of what got you into that position because you can find those qualities in other positions, the position itself. You know, if you, if you want like to tell stories and you want justice there's a, you can write a blog, you can, uh you know, do movies, become a producer, um you know, cartoons, anime. I know like Kobe Bryant went from playing basketball to then putting out those uh, short animated films. So there's so many different ways in which if you can figure out what the ingredients were that got you into the position you're in now and then figure out what else can I take those ingredients and put it into. It would it would make the transfer a bit more tenable for you versus feeling like, oh, that's all I am. And I mean, it's 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 wild because even when I read about Da Vinci and Thomas A. Edison, these guys were, you know, artists and, and electricians. They both got into war. They were fascinated by war. They made war machines, you know, and never thought that they would be in that realm, but um, you know, but to them it was another thing to create was another thing to experiment with um you know they just took what they were already naturally doing and transferred it over into something else
1: yeah a hundred percent and yeah i think that just speaks like especially kind of the, the first part of what you're saying is like there's like a real um kind of imaginative courage that has to happen, you know, you kind of have to like, even to start like framing your future in terms of goals or ideals or priorities, uh, requires a degree of like, you know, because again, like so much of, 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 of our, of our, of our economic system is like thinking about like the promotion or like the pivot or, uh, to mock my own word there, like, or the, uh, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, OK, I'm going to do Teach for America and then I'm going to be a lawyer and then I'm going to be a state councilman, a senator, and then I'm president. You know what I mean? The, the map, um, you know, whereas if you're like, all right, like I want to I want to be a civil servant committed to change, you know, then then, you know, your, your imagination, there's options in a way. And I, and I think like even that is like uh, something that we really have to um, it doesn't come naturally. We're not taught to do that.
0: No, so so why are you in Mexico right now with the family? I have, and I bring this up because we have other friends who. It's like you hear about Mexicans coming to America, but I know a lot of Americans moving to Mexico, or or at least they have like a second home in Mexico. What 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 was the allure for you?
1: Yeah, so so this is something (laughs) that keeps me up at night uh, as as living living as an American primarily earning in the dollar uh in in Mexico what brought uh me there originally is is my partner my wife Danielle is a artist she's a sculptor and a conceptual artist and amazing things are happening in Mexico City in the fine art scene uh it's so dynamic and inclusive and expansive um and so yeah 5 years ago we we were like we gotta, we gotta go. We were living in Austin, Texas. Wanted to, wanted to not live in Austin, Texas, and uh, you know that emerges. Okay, this is like a super exciting place. So we moved for her. We moved for her career, and then have stayed. and And our kid was born there, um, and and we're there. Uh, but yeah, people are moving to Mexico City for a lot of reasons, and you know, um, I, I think kind of like just sort of blunt reality is that, uh, you know, if you're earning in a stong- strong currency in a developing economy, uh, your purchasing power jumps through the roof, and uh, you can have a transformation of lifestyle, uh, which is, you know, great, quote, unquote. Uh, but again, if you're, you know, if uh, the ethics of it get real tricky, real fast, right? And, um, you know, this term, Uh, you know, neocolonialism has really started to kind of increase in the conversation in Mexico City. And uh, I think for good reason, you know, I mean, you if you're coming in with economic power, you're inevitably going to shape uh, the city and the culture um, disproportionately um, in ways that are not always great. So so I think, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's the the sort of dark side of it. Uh, Mexico City is a an amazing place. I love it. Uh I I my my son is is um I mean he's already so Mexican uh that I I I don't think I can take that from him. Um which is a wild thing to say, you know. I I had this idea. It's like, oh well, yeah, he's I, I you know, he's going to be like an, another American living in Mexico City and that's just I, you know, I was like no it's not <laughs> at all uh and uh and uh yeah 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 anyway i could talk all day uh about about that but um i think that's what's bringing a lot of people there i think there's other reasons i think uh, uh there's a lot of violence in america um that i mean that's an obvious statement but i mean that in a more um you know not the not not the not the shootings not the hate crimes but just in the air um you know, there, it's a, the air we breathe in the U.S. I'm, I'm, I'm in the States right now. Uh, it's just a little different. And I think, uh, you know, it goes without saying uh, that feeling is particularly acute. If, if you're a person of color or gender, you know, non-conforming, Uh it's a hard time to be in the United States. And there's certainly people um, who have moved to Mexico to get away from that as well.
0: It, what how are you finding the social aspect of living in Mexico it, it, meaning that because we talked earlier about Kaz being separated from not just family but friends and and then you know also his his natural family of his blood family I'm sure he had like I'm assuming he had siblings or his parents or, or what have you how are you handling the social aspect of
1: you know, we were really fortunate. We had, uh, you know, you know, it was, it was, you know, we put out the call right when we moved. It was like, Hey, we're moving to Mexico city. Does anybody know anybody? And sure enough, there were some friends of friends and incidentally, we just hit it off. And, um, excuse me. So from the jump, we had some really strong friendships, um, that, that really kind of moored us. And, uh, You know, my my wife's half Iranian, and so Tehran was on the table as a place to go, Um, you know, uh, and uh, it hit us. It was like, okay, well, we're not literally zero of our friends are even going to be able to visit Tehran if they wanted to. You know, the only way it was possible because you know, because, you know, she being half Iranian, you know, we could pull off the visas. But like, you know, that wasn't going to be the case for anybody else. And uh, on the other side, like 180 degrees, Mexico City is just an incredibly popular destination right now. Um, so it just feels like folks are always coming through that are, you know, friends, family, you know, it's a, it's a closer flight. Uh, you know, I lived in New York for 13 years, you know, it's uh, Mexico City's closer to New York than LA, you know, that flight's shorter. So it's just kind of like, um, in a lot of ways, it doesn't, it's different than Russia. I met Kaz in Russia and spent a lot of time in Russia. Uh, and uh, in a lot of ways, I I do think Mexico and the U.S. are, are cousins in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot of ways in which Mexico is really American um, in the same way that Mexican culture is so huge in U.S. culture. And, I, you know, I didn't like put that together, you know, like, you know, again, it's like all it's all like so in hindsight. But, uh, you know, things like the NFL, like, Mexico loves the NFL you know after the domestic soccer league it's all NFL all day and you have things like wings for example which to me are like deeply American and and uh you know there's wings places everywhere and and they don't say alitas you know they say wings in English you know uh so there's things like that that uh you know there's the the threads there's a lot of threads that I didn't know that connected the two countries um and uh yeah, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, too. I never realized how American I am uh, until living in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So
0: your, your your audio series on Audible, Six Sermons, what is it that, you know, and, and as I'm asking this question, I, I, I realize I don't even like this question, because uh, here's the question I was going to ask. What is it that you're hoping that listeners will get from this? Um but as I'm asking that, I'm like, art is so subjective. It's, you know, the, the listener is going to get from it whatever they get from it, you know, depending on where they are in their life. Uh, you know, if you listen to the, if you read a book three times, you're going to get something different from it every single time. But um, was the intention for you, I guess, that's a that's a, um, a, a more accurate question, to kind of highlight Kaz's life and the experience or what other people go through or like, what was the, what was the, the intention for you going into this?
1: It was definitely one of these things that I didn't figure it out, um, you know, until like a draft and a half to end. Um you know, but I would say that I think the piece succeeds most in terms of how people have responded to it. This the, the people who have, Are you know, I think it's a map for uh, a grief journey in some ways, you know, and um, like that. There's you know, that there's a real you know, front and center, of course, is folks who are suicidal. uh, You know, there's like, I don't see a path forward, and I think that that feeling um, also is real for people who have lost someone. You know, I don't know how I'm gonna deal with this, you know, and um. You know, people who've lost family members uh to suicide. It's like, you know, and I guess a goal or a hope that I have of the piece is that it's like this pain is never gonna weigh, these these wounds are never gonna heal completely, or they might not. But there there is, you know, there are things that we can do or try to do um to to get on the other side of of these feelings of pain and anger betrayal all those things that uh we don't understand you know so i think that's like an important element of the story and also it's a real testament uh to community i think um which i think a, a lot of folks um are missing in their life whether they know it or not uh you know i think we're really apart from each other in a lot of ways and <clears throat> i mean all this sounds banal but uh, you know, I think, uh, when people support each other, you know, at their name, like support people who aren't <clears throat> the expect, ex, uh, uh ex, expected supporters, right. Uh, that really tremendous things can happen. And then when society encourages a more sort of, uh, collective approach to support amazing things are possible. I didn't grow up in the church, uh, at all, you know, um, Christianity is, is not at the heart of any kind of belief system I have. Um, but what I found in some churches, uh, in America, you know, to completely acknowledge like the fact that many, 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 many churches in America are are spaces that are destructive. Um, there are churches in this, in this country that, um, the people look out for each other in this way that is kind of uh, really inspiring. Uh, and I think, I think there's ways in which we can constitute society to encourage that kind of support. And so I guess those are kind of the two, the two kind of main, you know, I mean, I hate the word messages too. You know, that's like a real reductive way to, to think about some, you know, uh, a novel or anything like that. But yeah, I think, I think like those are the places that it, like just pointing to people who have listened, you know, that's, that's kind of things that people have responded to or kind of reflected back. Um, And so, you know, and I, that makes that, you know, obviously uh, really affirms the work I put into it and, and um, just the justice piece that like, Hey, okay, this is something that I, you know, put myself into that's, that's having some positive effects
0: did it, um, did Kaz's death, ch- um, change how you communicate with your wife in any way? Did it, did it open anything up? Did it close anything down? Did it, um,
1: wow. did it expose um, anything? I think it was like the first time that I had been like broken before her. I mean, in some ways, the first time I'd been ever, like, broken, 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 you know? Um, So I think there's an inevitable growth that happens when you experience your partner in a new way, um, a new level of, of vulnerability. And so I don't know if I start talking to her differently or something like that, per se, but what comes to mind right now, it's like, yeah, I mean, sh- that, it's impossible to, to think, I mean, you know, and that puts her in this position of, of, of and again, like, to this larger conversation that, you know, we need to have more conversations about suicide, we also have, need to have more conversations about grieving them, uh, and and, you know, that really put her in a position to support someone who's grieving a suicide, and what does that look like, right, I mean, like, who's talking about that, like, somebody's sick like we show up show up with flowers and like chicken noodle soup and like we hang out and like you know there's a there's a there's a playbook for like helping somebody who's you know has the flu um and it's like well somebody who's grieving a suicide is in a is in a is in a pretty bad way and might be for a long time like what's what's the playbook there and i think that i mean i i have a really amazing partner and i think she was able to find an idiom for that you know that support um and uh i think a lot of it's just like knowing when to when to stop talking you know and to and to and to give space um which is which is just you know eq in general you know they talk about like how to be around the dying you know it's like shut your damn mouth (laughs) you know just like be there uh and uh you know there's you know uh I think you'll appreciate this. There's this saying that I heard once. It's really, you know, the greatest gift you can give somebody is your attention. And I really love that. And I think, I think you might too. And I think that that was something that she did um, for me in this amazing way while I was going through that. Um, And so, yeah, I I think, I think, I think uh, Kaz's death put pressure on the relationship that, that forced a different kind of intimacy, a different kind of love. And that, has remained, you know, my friend died a long time ago, like those, those, you know, and I wrote this show and a lot, a lot has improved. But you know, you find a, once you've gone to that corner of the forest, like it's now on the map, you know, Uh, and, and uh, that's what happened in our relationship, I think, and I'm sure tragedies will come, you know, we're young people. And so I think like, you know, that little, we'll be able to go back there a little, you know, easier.
0: Love it. Last two questions. Um, I always imagine there's someone listening in who is at the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Asa.
1: I feel you. Like I hear you. Um, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, I just think, uh, I get it, you know, I don't get it, but like, yeah, like, you know, I think just like legitimizing um, someone's feeling legitimizing someone's like where they're at in that moment um, just acknowledges them <clears throat> and their personhood and their, and their dignity and like respecting that and not, you know, not like kind of freaking out. I mean, to me, the irony there is that like legitimizing that feeling, feeling is actually kind of is the kind of thing that could really um, return someone because, you know, it makes it, it makes it, it, I don't know, there's something about that to me, you know, this is all off the dome here. I I didn't, uh, had never thought about this question to be honest, but I think, uh, I think to say to someone that their feeling is okay uh, is a form of seeing somebody. And that a lot of times that's, what folks who are suicidal need or lack most.
0: To feel seen. Absolutely. And then last question here, Asa, is what are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours?
1: 24 hours. Oh man, so much. Uh my brother's in town. I don't get to see him much. And uh yeah, I mean I'm driving him to the airport tonight. I'm I'm uh I'm stoked on the drive like and we haven't always got along and like, it's been a really great visit. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the, the last. Uh, yeah. One more car ride, one more combo.
0: Dope, man. I love that. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you calling to get help. Call the nine eight eight or any of the international phone numbers that are listed in the show notes, whether you're in Mexico or in the Netherlands, Uh, or in Moscow, there is a phone number for you. You can call, chat, text. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Asa.
1: Okay. Thanks, Leo. That was great.